We're going to take a break this week from the Gospel of John, and uh, because uh, the reason, because of our anniversary, I wanted to take a moment and um, and well speak to being thankful and what we have to be thankful for as a result of God's goodness to us. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and we'll come back to John chapter 1 next week uh, in, in our service. But this morning I want to take a, just a quick sidetrack from that to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, on the slides I've used tonight, I've used that fountain uh, sort of picture there just as an illustration of you know, how great the blessings of God are, that they overflow our lives and are abundant to us. You know, we've been singing about thanking God and and reading about our thanks to God. We've spent some time sharing some of the things that we are thankful for and giving God glory for those things today. Because as we celebrate our church's anniversary, we have much to be thankful for here. Um, What God has done over the years in in this church and continues to do. Maybe you've, you've seen this already or noticed this already. I'm not a particularly sentimental guy. Um, I tend to forget things like this. But anniversaries and things like that are they're important moments for us to remember and to set our minds on, on what we have to be thankful for and the goodness that God has, has given to us and to give thanks. You know, the idea of thankfulness is it's one of the most important traits uh, and attitudes that we can have in this world uh, as a Christian and just generally in this world. It is of supreme importance, and yet it is one of the, the easiest things to lose grasp of. Uh, it's so important to us, but we, we let go of it so quickly sometimes and we forget. And perhaps that's why the Bible reminds us so often to be thankful and about the things we have to be thankful for. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. You know, our natural way of life, because of the sin that's, that's within us, and then the society that's around us, everything leads us away from thankfulness. We're led to, to complaining and dissatisfaction and blame and worry and trouble, and, and everything that we have you know, naturally within us and then all around us is saying we, there's... There's nothing to be thankful for. You need more. You can be more. You're not good enough. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're reminded that, the, that thankfulness is a fruit of the Spirit within our lives. Uh, that as a result of the Spirit filling us, we become a people who give thanks and are thankful. Colossians, Paul tells us that we can do all things in thankfulness. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's around us, we can be thankful. And I realize that sometimes saying that, that sounds, it sounds so hard to do because some of us are in places of, of difficulty. Maybe we're struggling just to hang on or maybe we're, we're just trying to make ends meet in this world or we're having issues with, with our kids or our marriage is struggling or everything seems unstable and around us and the circumstances and things going on seem to make this idea be thankful such a hard thing to grasp and those things can easily take away our thankfulness. But at the same time we have to be careful of the other extreme because the other extreme 
is a trap also, and that not in those times when we are in trouble, but also the times when we are in abundance. Martin Luther reminds us that we often become unthankful in the abundance of God's blessing. He said, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. The more God blesses us, the less thankful we seem to become. We become complacent. So let's take a moment this morning as we read part of the introduction of Paul to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, beginning, or chapter 1 I should say, and beginning in verse 4. It says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm uh, confirm unto you the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to to gather, to be able to remind ourselves of so many of the things we have to be thankful for. We ask for your blessing and that as we come to your word that we would be reminded of the great depths of thankfulness we have to you and give our lives for your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This opening, so th- those words we just read, they are they're remarkable and they're wonderful and they're deep and we're going to take a few moments to make our way through these and think about what Paul says here. But they don't seem to fit. Because if you know much about the, the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that the church at Corinth is a mess. Like, there are some very, very harsh words that Paul uses to the church at Corinth through this letter. And so, when you think about what is coming up in this church and how, how ridiculously messed up the church at Corinth was, that Paul begins with words like, I thank my God always on your behalf. It doesn't seem to fit. That, that seems like words that you should write to Philippi, not to Corinth. But he does. And that's the importance of it. And that's the the beauty of what we have here. Paul still sees reasons for thankfulness, even in a church which is entirely screwed up. And if you're prepared to look for it, even in the darkest of circumstances, even in places which seem entirely screwed up, if you're prepared to look for it, there is always reason for thankfulness in every circumstance, and every situation. Paul will firmly correct them, and you can see that as you you look through, and he'll remind them of what they are doing wrong, but he also reminds them in the midst of this of who they are so that they can be thankful as he is and remember what God has done in them and that, that gratefulness and that thankfulness and the glory that they see of what God has done in them can change them out of the mess that they are in. He thanks God for what he has done in their life and how he has has transformed them and, and given them so many great things. It may not be what they should be at the moment, 
But Paul writes with hope because God is working in them. There is much to be thankful for. So in these verses, we're reminded of what God has done for us and what he continues to do for us and what he has made us to be. It is the blessings of being a saint. What are the benefits of being a saint, one set apart for God? So let's think. I've got four main topics here we're going to look at, of things that Paul draws out that we have to be thankful for, which can then grow into so much more. And the first is this. We are thankful for the grace of God. Something we've mentioned already in our service this morning, that we are thankful for the grace of God. He begins this this introduction, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. We are thankful for the grace of God. We are thankful for the grace of God because we have been given the grace of God, given the grace of God. Grace is a beautiful word, isn't it? And it's, it's one because it's, it's a beautiful word which tells us about a beautiful thing. Even the, the Greek word charis. It's, it's, it's just, it's a lovely word. That's one of the reasons why we, we named one of our daughters, Grace, Esther Grace. Because of what it means and the beauty of, of that word. And it brings to us such, such wonder and, and glory about what God has done for us. Grace, in its most simple definition, I guess, is unmerited or undeserved favor. That is, you've received something you did not earn, something that you don't deserve. Paul recognized this, and he writes in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 1, he says, this is what I used to be. I used to be a persecutor of God. I, I killed God's people. I was a blasphemer and, and disobedient, but in God's faithfulness, and his grace, he rescued me from that. So understand this, though. When though grace has to it this idea of being undeserving, of unmerited, it is not a statement on your value. So this isn't a statement of value. To say that we are undeserving doesn't mean that we don't have value to God. We have value. We all have value because we are created in the image of God. What it means is that the benefit that God gives, I have not earned. I have not uh, achieved. You know, for many, grace means nothing. It, it, it's an empty phrase because we believe that we are acceptable. We believe that, that if I do enough or if I live the right way, well, then that will be enough to God and it will be good. When we live that way, we empty the word grace of everything that it means when I think that I deserve what God has to offer. We know, as the people of God, we know that we have received grace. How have we experienced God's grace? We've been forgiven of our sin. We have been set free from judgment, freed from the condemnation that comes because of our sin. We have received salvation. We have been saved. We've experienced the very grace of God. Like Ephesians 2, 8 tells us, grace is a necessary part of our relationship with God. Why is that? Because I can't earn God's favor. I can't earn his blessing or his goodness on us. Romans 3 tells us so much about what this means, but one of the things it tells us is that there is none righteous. He quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah, there is none righteous, 
No, not one. Righteous. That is, there is none that meet the standard, the absolute purity of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And verse 10 says God knows it and God judges it. Our heart is deceitful. So much so that the very person who wrote this about grace in 1 Corinthians writes for us in Ephesians 2 about grace and about what God has done for us, says that because of our, our natural state, says we are dead in trespasses and sins. Not that we are sick, not that we're asleep, but that spiritually we are dead. We have no way to respond. We, uh, we have no life whatsoever. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And again, back in Romans, a verse many of us will know so well, it tells us this affects all of us. For all have sinned. What does that mean? And come short of the glory of God. That's what sin essentially is. We come short of God's glory. We don't reach the standard that God expects. Without grace, I am doomed. And so what we receive is the grace of of God. God's perfection is the standard to meet. As we've noted already, God must and he will judge sin. The passages of God's judgment on sin throughout the Bible from beginning to end are terrifying. Horrifying, in fact, but God will judge sin. And that, the judgment on sin, that is what I deserve. So Romans 6 for the wages, the payment, or the debt that I owe of sin is death. That is what I deserve, each and every one of us. But here is the glory of grace. Here is what makes grace so amazing. The God that demands punishment is the same God that provides the way of escape from punishment. That is grace. That is the glory of grace. That the God who says, I am perfect, and because you are not, you are doomed, is also the God who says, because you are doomed, I will provide a way for you to escape that. That's amazing. Now we talk about God redeeming us and buying us back. When that, that doesn't mean God was making a deal. So the payment that God makes to buy us out of our sin, there, there's no deal God is making with anyone but himself. He's not paying off Satan. Saying, well, you're Satan, so I'll pay Satan and I'll buy you back from Satan. He is paying his own debt for himself for us. God himself was making the very payment that he required. When we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that's how deeply amazing grace is. No one else can pardon you. Which is why Paul so often interjects in his writings with things like he says in 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. His unspeakable gift. We are thankful for the grace of God because we are given the grace of God by the Son of God. We've already established a little this morning that this grace is not earned, that grace by its nature is undeserved. It comes only by 
Jesus Christ by the Son of God. Titus chapter 2 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Right? That's what we were. That's the people we, we were. That's why we don't deserve the goodness of God. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You can't earn that. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Right, so you don't, you don't get this goodness of God. You don't get this grace of God by giving to charity, no matter how much you give to charity. You don't get this goodness of God, this benefit of God by adopting children or by not stealing or by living a good life, so-called. You don't get this goodness of God. You don't get this benefit of God by going to church regularly or even serving in church regularly. That doesn't gain you points with God. You don't get this goodness of God by reading your Bible every day or even memorizing your Bible. None of that, while they may be good things, give you the grace of God or the goodness and benefit that God has given. In fact, all of those things, even the most altruistic person that has ever lived in this earth, God looks at what they've done and he says, as in Isaiah 64, it's just a pile of rubbish. It doesn't even come close to meeting my standard. Why? Because in all of our goodness and in all of our good deeds and in all of our effort to try and be good, at the center of it is a tinge at least of selfishness. It makes me feel good. It makes me look good. So we are given grace. It can't be earned. Ephesians 2, 8, we know so well. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The grace God gives and the, the, the faith that God gives us to, to believe that grace are gift from God. And so we're told, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He has died for our sins. Remember what you have to be thankful for, the grace of God. We are thankful for the grace of God because we've been given the grace of God by the Son of God and enriched by God. So our verses here, verse 4 says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. You are enriched by God for godliness. So when we talk about grace, one of the things that we, we talk and we learn about grace is this, is that in grace, the wrath of God for our sin is turned away from us. It is so we are no longer under God's wrath. The wrath of God is removed from us. But grace is far more than just the wrath of God being taken away. Grace goes beyond that to pour out blessing on us. Right. So at the very beginning, and the very first thing we understand is, is given where I am in relation to God, one, I do not deserve for God to take his wrath from me, but he does that. 
And then on top of that, he pours into my life his blessing. And he fills my life with goodness. This is not a life motivated by gain. It's a life motivated by relationship. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. In Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, we are given everything we need. Everything we need. We can live pleasing to God. We can overcome the obstacles we face in this life. We can persevere through the trials and the pain because of the grace of God. Because in the grace of God, we find this to be true. God is enough. That's what grace has at its core. God is enough. Colossians chapter 2, Paul tells us that we are complete in him. We have, as he says in Ephesians, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This gives us security. We know that by his grace, we will make it to the end. He will keep us safe. We are enriched by him uh, for godliness. We are enriched by God for God's work. So he gives two specifics here. He says that we are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. So in all utterance. That is, we are enriched. We are empowered by God. We are given everything we need by God to speak for him. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to speak the word of God in a world which doesn't want to listen to the world of the word of God. And you don't have to be a great speaker. So this isn't about that we're enriched in all utterance, that, that he's going to, to make us great orators, and that we're all going to be eloquent of tongue. That's not what he means by here. Paul even said, just in the next chapter, he tells him, when I came to you at Corinth, I didn't come with great swelling words and, and eloquent speeches, but I came with the power of God. Why does he say that? Why does he tell him that? He says, because I don't want your faith to be in me and my words. I want your faith to be in the power of God. That's what God does when he gives us and enriches us in all utterance. That is, he takes our words and he takes who we are and he empowers us to speak to the people around us so that they won't have faith in me, but they will have faith in the God I'm sharing with them. To empower them to see the truth. He says we are enriched not just in all utterance, but in all knowledge. That is, he gives us all we need to know him. Everything we need to know about God, everything we need to know to live for God, he has given to us. He's shown us in his word. He has revealed himself to us. And then he has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can understand it and we can learn who God is. We do not need anything else from God. Don't believe anyone who tells you when you get saved, you need more of God. When you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior and he saves you from your sin, you have all of God you will ever need. He gives you all of himself in all utterance 
and all knowledge. We are thankful for the grace of God. We are thankful for the gift of God. It continues, or Paul continues in verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful for the gift of God, and one of the great aspects of that gift of God is that we are changed by God. We are given new life. When we come to Jesus Christ, one of the things we have to be thankful for is that I am not what I used to be. I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are given new life. That is, the, the content of my life, the witness of my life, changes. My life says something different. And it says something different now because our lives are different now. We live for the glory of God. We are given this new life so that we can reveal Christ. The inward change that takes place in us when Christ comes and he changes who we are inside, that inward change brings outward change. We, we see that happen. As a teenager... Um, Apart from wasting too much time playing basketball, I also wasted too much time skateboarding. One of my great heroes of skateboarding was, well, he ended up being a, a disaster, and he ended up in jail, and he lived that, you know, that off-the-wall skateboard life, and he, was, he ended up in prison. In prison, he was saved gloriously by Jesus Christ. Got out, and now he lives. He, I, I listened to him this week on a podcast with some other skateboarders. Skateboarders who don't believe in God, who don't think religion is anything. And as I sat there and listened to him, here, this man sits on that podcast going out to the world saying, Jesus Christ saved me, and he changed my life, and he made me new. And the other guy sitting on the other side of that microphone said, you know, I don't believe that stuff, but I believe what you say because I can see the change in you. I knew what you were before. And I can see what you are now. Christ changes who we are. He makes our life different. Very different. You know, that's an important part of the lesson of 1 Corinthians. Paul is reminding the church at Corinth that their lives say something. Your lives are a testimony, a witness to those around. So, chapter 6, verse 19. Right? What Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Therefore glorify God in your body. God hasn't just rescued me from death, but he's given me new life, new glorious life. He's given me life with eternal purpose. I've been changed by God, and I've been gifted by God, so that, verse 7, you come behind in no gift. That is, we've been empowered by God. With the coming of the Holy Spirit within to our lives, we are empowered. We receive the Spirit at salvation, and the Spirit empowers us to do the work of God. God guides us through the work of the Spirit. He illumines us in the Word of God, and He leads us through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
One of the great things that comes in, in 1 Corinthians is Paul describing to us how God gifts us with the gifts of the Spirit to serve and minister to one another and to use the power that God has given us. He empowers us abundantly because he has given us everything we need to live for God. One of the, the great things about this verse, it says, so that ye come behind in no gift. That is a plural you, not a singular you. So he's speaking this to the church, saying so that you, church, come behind in no gift. That is, together, we are a strong body of Christ. We are gifted and empowered by God himself, individually and corporately. The church is so much more than a worship service. It's so much more deep. We are thankful for the gift of God who has changed us and who has given us his gifts, but also that we are purified by God. So he says in verse 8, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless doesn't mean faultless. doesn't mean that you're without sin or anything like that. It means to be unaccused. That we can come to the end and be unaccused. Paul would describe this a little bit more in Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, familiar to us, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Later in that very chapter, in verse 33, he says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who also justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So when he says that we will be presented without blame, it doesn't mean that I am without fault. What it means is Jesus paid my debt and I have nothing to answer for now. That is, Christ paid everything I owe and I stand before God unaccused because Jesus took care of it. Not my own righteousness, but the righteousness that comes from God. With that very same idea of blameless, that it means, though it means that we're not faultless but unaccused, it also carries with it and is, is brought forth throughout Scripture to also mean that we're not careless. Not careless. So it doesn't mean that I can do whatever I want, but strive to be like Christ. I've been given everything I need, to live for Christ. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, Peter says. So, we are thankful for the grace of God. We're thankful for the gift of God. Thirdly, we are thankful for the glorious appearing of God's Son. Thankful for the glorious appearing of God's Son. We've read some of it already in verse 7 and 8. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is coming. This is something we have to be thankful for because he has promised that he is coming again. He made that promise to us. John chapter 14 and Acts chapter 11 and so many other places. He says, I am coming again. I'm leaving you now, but I will be back. I have promises still to fulfill. He's promised that he is coming back. 
and he does so with a purpose. Right now, he is preparing a place for us, it tells us. That he is readying everything for that time. He is interceding for us. And so, while he is keeping his promise and he is preparing for his coming, we are eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting for him. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2, uh, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We are confident and we wait with confidence that he is coming because he's promised it. And why can we wait with confidence because he has promised he's coming again? Because God cannot lie. God makes a promise and he cannot break it. It is impossible for God to break a promise. He cannot lie. His very resurrection assures us of the promise that he is coming back. He lives so that he can return. So, while we are confident in his return, we must be prepared for his return. And that's what it means to wait. It means to be prepared to be readying for his return. Wait does not mean to do nothing. That's kind of how we think of wait. I'm going here and I've got to wait, which means we just sit and we do nothing. In the Bible, wait does not mean wait and do nothing. In the Bible, wait means prepare. Get ready. Get ready for when he comes back because he's promised he's coming back. That's why when, when we're told in, in Titus that he's coming back, it tells us that one of the things we learn from his promises coming back is that we are learning or teaching us, that this teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We're not waiting for the next to live godly. We're doing it now. We're preparing now for it, fulfilling our purpose in this generation I have something to live for right now. No matter what this life brings me, I have something to live for right now. And then finally this morning, one of the other things that Paul reminds us to be thankful for is this. We are thankful for God's faithfulness. Again, another thing that we've, we've spoken about and had mentioned already in our service today, God is faithful. Verse, verse 9 begins, God is faithful. And it begins like that, not so that we can quickly run over it to find out what it says next. Those first three words are written emphatically. You could put, a, a, if you were, a, an exclamation mark at the end of that. God is faithful. That's what it means. So it's not meant to be run over. It's meant to be emphatic. God is faithful. And that is exactly what we mean. God is faithful. God isn't fickle or flighty. He doesn't change his mind or his whims or his desires. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And the answer to this, the, the proof that God is faithful, is Jesus. Christ is the answer. That's how God does all of this through Jesus. 
If you, you, you notice as we read through the first few verses that you read in, in 1 Corinthians here, chapter 1, you will find in his introduction, Paul mentions Jesus in every verse. Every verse of his introduction, he mentions Jesus specifically. I think verse 5, it's by implication in he, but in every verse, he mentions Jesus. Why? Because this is all about Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we are thankful. It's because of Jesus that we have anything worth offering or giving or living for. Jesus is the answer. Jesus shows us that God is faithful. But he goes on, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And here is one of the other blessings of grace. So God's grace is not just that he removes his wrath and then amazingly pours blessing into my life. But he doesn't do that from a distance. That is God's grace. Isn't that God says, all right, I'm going to take the wrath away from you and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of blessings with you, but you're there and I'm here. He says he calls us into fellowship. That is, he does all this with him. He has called us into personal relationship into a gloriously eternal relationship. The word that's used there for, for fellowship is used in, in a number of different ways in English. Sometimes we see it as fellowship, and sometimes we see it as contribution or, or partnership or communion. And every time it's used, it's used to describe a, a situation in which there is an, a, a, a deep and abiding relationship where there is something that is transpiring between the two. Not where it is God up here and me down here and God just from a distance pours out whatever he wants to make me happy. But rather, in his magnificent grace, he has drawn me out of my sin and out of this world and he has drawn me to his side. That is something to be thankful for. That I have in Jesus Christ a deep, growing relationship with my God. It speaks of an intimate relationship. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, John says, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul opens this letter and says he is thankful for the church at Corinth. He's thankful for the people there and for what God has done in their life. And I love how he begins it. So he doesn't just say, I thank God always. But notice he says, I thank my God on your behalf. That is, so even for Paul, while he is writing about these most beautiful and personal aspects of the relationship between God and the people at Corinth, he is saying, we are all here. This is, this is a deeply personal relationship. The God I am thanking for you is the God I love deeply. He is my God. Paul knows the personal relationship with Christ. And he knows that that relationship is what go, is going to establish each of them 
It's what's going to change this church that desperately needs change in Corinth. He is thankful for what the grace of God can do in our lives. His thanks is not about what you've done. His thanks is about what Christ has done in us. We are thankful for what Christ has done in us. We are thankful for the grace of God. And that is the bedrock of our belief. It is the bedrock of our Christianity. It is the bedrock of our church. We are thankful for the gifts that God has bestowed us. We are thankful for the future that awaits us because of God's grace. We are thankful for God's faithfulness to us each and every day. No matter what the circumstances around us, God is faithful. Don't forget these blessings. In a world which is constantly trying to make us feel like there is nothing worth being thankful for, we have eternal glories to be thankful for that we see in our life every single day. Don't forget these blessings. Because when we forget these blessings, that's when we lose our way. And we forget who we are and what we have. So brothers and sisters, thank God for what he has given you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning abundantly thankful We could genuinely spend hours here this morning speaking our thanks to you for everything you've done because your goodness to us is both magnificent and great but also small and detailed. So God, we lift our hearts in thankfulness. We thank you that you have poured your grace into our life. We thank you that we have hope that one day we will be with you because you've promised. So fill our hearts with thankfulness and may our lives be a testimony of your goodness in this world. We thank you, God, for the goodness that you have poured into this church in these years. There are many blessings we have And so much we have to look forward to because you are faithful. So as we celebrate 41 years, let us be thankful and let us be hopeful. In Jesus' name, amen.